Global Crisis Bible Prophecy Health and Preparedness You are just in time. 11th Hour Dispatch Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your loving kindness, for your infinite mercy and grace. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the privilege to have eternal life, which is knowing Jesus eternally. We thank you so much for every good and perfect gift that cometh down from above. And we do ask for your blessing upon this broadcast. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome to 11th Hour Dispatch. This is a 30-minute news broadcast from a Christian perspective that we might understand the signs of the times and what is happening in the headlines and the trends of our planet, which is on the brink of final events of Bible prophecy that precede immediately the second coming of Christ. And so when we look at geopolitical trends and economic issues and all of these matters, it's all to understand the timeline of Bible prophecy and the increasing intensity of those signs of the times, that we might be drawn to a deeper confidence and love of the Word of God, where we've discovered Jesus Christ and Him portrayed as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what we're all about here, so as we head into the news, keep that in mind. Now, you probably have heard U.S. stocks are at an all-time high. We had two pretty significant precipitous crashes in in August and in January, clawed back from those, and now the stock indices, the Dow, the S&P 500, they're at literally all-time highs. Ironically, paradoxically, while we have just experienced the first 10-year period of time where we did not have a single year of 3% GDP economic growth. So what gives there? How do we understand this? Well, if you look around the world, it becomes even more concerning and perplexing. There have been literally trillions of dollars of global stock wealth that have vanished in the past year, uh, year and, and, and month or so. Approximately the last 13 months have been where things have really gotten interesting. China, particularly, it's in its worst economic recession in decades. They're down 40% in their stock market still, the second largest economy in the world, China. Japan had experienced what economists called the lost decade, where they just had stagnation and no growth and just a long recessionary or stagnatory slide. And it's looking like their lost decade might end up being more like a lost quarter century. They're still down 25% in their stock market over the past year, the third largest economy on the planet. Uh, When you look at other countries like Venezuela, total collapse in Venezuela. Half the country cannot even get enough food uh, food to eat. Uh, They're hunting dogs in the streets. I mean, it's gotten crazy. New York Times reported, with delivery trucks under constant attack, the nation's food is now transported under armed guard. Soldiers stand watch over bakeries. The police fire rubber bullets at desperate mobs storming grocery stores, pharmacies, and butcher shops. A four-year-old girl was shot to death as street gangs fought over food. This breaks my heart to read about what's happening in this country, in Venezuela. 
And you look at that and you figure, well, that's a, you know, that's an isolated blip on the radar. That would never happen in industrialized Western countries. You can count on the fact that it will happen in industrialized Western countries. In fact, Brazil, a pretty developed nation itself, economically prosperous, has now declared an economic emergency. And they were one of the top economies of the world as well, if I remember correctly, 11th in the world. Then you got Germany. I mean, we're talking the West here, Deutsche Bank. Big trouble there with their their stock is down literally over 90% since 2007. And their whole stock market in the past year alone is down 19% in Germany. Italy is really on the brink of major, major economic implosion events on the style of Greece and Cyprus. And they were just bailed out by the European Union. But all of this points to a serious time in the global economy. Now, in the United States, we've sort of been uh, shielded from much of this. While all of these other economies have been experiencing this tanking in their stock markets and so on, we've had sort of a stagnation, you know, 0.5% growth in the first quarter and a stock market that's basically flat over the past year. It's up just a teeny tiny bit now. But basically the whole world has been in an economic crisis since last summer. Even at the same time as... Governments and central banks are pumping in the stimulus to try to prop up the economy. We've still seen all of this. Now, the global elite have been predicting this. They knew that this was coming. They know that this is coming. They put out statements, and George Soros, for example, just recently sold off a bunch of his stock holdings, moved into gold. He's made billions of dollars in the lead into these crises. He did the same thing in 2007. So, in fact, you can see these these sell-offs as precipitating the actual collapse and then the people who are the big moneyed elite at the at the very beginning of the sell-off well they sell at the top right and that was that quote that i shared the other day where the moneyed elite control the issuance of currency they control the 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 marketplace and that's what leads to civil unrest or the quote was civil war from 1899 a prediction that this is the future and we're living that future right now market oracle reports What economic recovery? 62% of Americans don't have $1,000 in savings. So there's a perception that everything is fine here in America for now. But when you scratch under the surface and you look at literally 21% of Americans don't even have a savings account, and then another 28% have nothing in savings. So that's half of the country right there. Either doesn't have a savings account or has no savings. So they're, they're, they're one bill away, they're one uh, default away from ruin here and, and, and becoming dependent upon uh, the state. And, and you know, these, these images that we get that are portrayed by the mainstream media or just basically an ignorant, uneducated populace who doesn't know what's coming, we're, we're somewhat clueless about the real danger and nature of what we are standing upon the precipice of which is very deep. China says, quote, we are combat ready, not afraid to fight a war with the United States. Then speaking of full-blown potential massive, you know, major power warfare, not just little skirmishes, but Vladimir Putin warned of, quote, impending danger. He was speaking to journalists a couple of weeks ago, and he said, we know year by year what's going to happen. And they know that we know. He's speaking of the West. He says, they know that we know. It's only you journalists that they tell tales to 
and you buy it and spread it to the citizens of your country. So he's slapping the uh, journalists around here a little bit, saying, you're just spreading propaganda. And he says, you people, in turn, do not feel a sense of the impending danger. This is why I wanted to share this quote. According to Vladimir Putin, that's a big, important name, president of Russia, right? He says, this is what worries me, the impending danger. How do you not understand that the world is being pulled in an irreversible direction while they pretend that nothing is going on? I don't know how to get through to you anymore, he says. You can hear the urgency in the statement. He's saying there's impending danger. The world is being pulled in an irreversible direction, meaning confrontation, east versus west, which if this turned into war, and I'm not saying it will any time soon, but we do know that the Bible prophesies wars and rumors of wars. And that those would increase in their frequency and their intensity unto the close of time. And so this is definitely a fulfillment of that Bible prophecy. And when we see in the Bible that the love of most will grow cold, people will become alienated, they will become uh, losing natural affection. I saw this report as, as important. Race relations in America are at their lowest point in a generation, matching the 1992 L.A. Rodney King riots. I remember those. You may remember that this was not a happy, healthy time for race relations in the United States, black and white. Well, we now have 69% of the country saying race relations are bad, and that's as high as it's been in a generation matching the 1992 Rodney King riots. Then we've got the RNC coming next week, the Republican National Convention, where Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people will be descending upon Cleveland. And my friends, we're living in interesting times where this is not going to just be any ordinary, you know, coronation of the Republican nominee. They're, they're bringing in police and, and, and federal officials from all over the country, from other cities even, contributing police force to Cleveland to help out their local local law enforcement. You're going to see some pretty spectacular events Mark my words, because of what's going on in the country right now with with demonstrations and protests and Black Lives Matter. I mean, 70 percent of Americans in a recent poll said that they are angry and 60 percent of those say that they don't believe anything's going to get any better. So with the Black Lives Matter officially saying that they are skeptical that American America can even be salvaged. So do you hear the revolutionary words there? The idea that our, our present system cannot even be salvaged. 60% of people saying things aren't going to get any better. 70 angry, 69% saying race relations are bad. So we live in a time where events are indeed heating up. Conflict is on the rise. But the beautiful and wonderful thing is that in contrast with that, those who walk with Jesus Christ, those who know him as their savior, well, we, we don't have just, you know, this boiling over anger and this revolutionary fervor. And, you know, you might have some righteous indignation about injustice and wrong things in the world, and that's appropriate. But we live with a joy and a hope, right? And that's the beautiful thing of inner peace that Jesus brings us. But not just that, peace between us and our fellow man. I have great race relations with the people of all different cultures that I get to come in contact with through the ministry that I do, speaking at various churches, and it's really fun to be able to live in such a multicultural place called the church, which is a international, supranational, above the nations, 
institution, if you will, a grouping of people who are from every tribe, nation, people, and language who have the song of the Lamb. And that's what we're all about. And that brings people together. So there's some good news. But here's the news from the headlines. InfoWars reports a black male opened fire on a police officer's home in Indiana Tuesday, just days after being released from prison. So more about the racial conflict that's happening. According to reports, 27-year-old March Eugene Ratney began screaming profanities and firing on an Indianapolis Metropolitan Police Department officer's home just after 2 a.m. The violent felon, who had recently been released after serving half of a 12-year sentence, was wearing a shirt with the words Black Lives Matter and uh, expletives as well about the police. Also, although Ratney fired 17 shots hitting the officer's home, patrol vehicle, and fence, neither the officer or his family were harmed. We thank the Lord for that. And the police chief, Tony Riggs, said that the officer had just returned home from work when the shooting began. Riggs said, think about this. This is your home. This is, there's one place, if there is one place in this world where you should always feel safe and your family should feel safe, it is in your home. If we're going to overcome issues in our community, he said, we can't tolerate this. No kidding. This uh, criminal violent act of just firing indiscriminately into somebody's home. Oh, I'm so glad that Jesus is coming soon and all the pain and sorrow and sin and evil of this age will pass away and we will have the heavenly kingdom of perfect peace. You're listening to 11th Hour Dispatch with author, teacher and speaker Scott Ritzmer. For more programs and information, visit 11thHourDispatch.com. In 1969, the U.S. Department of Education announced its intention to use the public schools as, quote, a means to achieve important social goals of a national character. Wait a minute, I thought education was about helping children's character and their academic development. Think again. It's a social engineering experiment. And much more than a mere social agenda, Bob Chase of the NEA stated in 1997 that, quote, education is the modern world's temporal religion. It's time to wake up, to come apart and be separate, saith the Lord. The DVD series is called Schooled, the deliberate agenda to reduce individuality, destroy intelligence, and re-engineer society. In Schooled, you'll hear it straight from the mouths of the founders of modern schooling themselves. They're quite proud of it. Visit 11thHourDispatch.com and use promo code RADIO for a reduced suggested donation rate. Wonderful, merciful Savior, precious Redeemer and friend, who would have thought that a lamb could rescue the souls of men? Oh, you rescue the souls of men. Back. This is 11th Hour Dispatch, and the website is 11thHourDispatch.com. A few more headlines. Superbug detected for the second time in the United States. Experts warn of more cases in the coming months. Slow catastrophe as antibiotic golden age 
comes to an end. And you might remember these superbugs are antibiotic resistant. In other words, we've been using antibiotics, using, using, overusing. In fact, a third of antibiotic prescriptions that are given, prescriptions given by medical officials, actually are not even useful for what they're prescribed for. So they're misprescribed, overprescribed, and then the super bugs emerge. They, they, they adapt, they change, and all of a sudden you're going, whoa, this is a serious, serious thing. But back to the race relations of our time. This organization, Black Lives Matter, while it has many people who are well-intentioned and who are not on board with violence and indiscriminate killing of police, it, it begins to concern me when I see what the official statements of this organization are about. Like I've been sharing that recently on the broadcast, and I'll mention it again, but there, here's the headline from CNS News. The United Nations invites Black Lives Matter to an event, and UN rights expert cites, quote, structural structural and institutional racism in the United States. The history of political project was launched in the wake of the murder of Trayvon Martin. So they're saying, hey, we're on board with you guys. The United Nations is on board with Black Lives Matter saying that there's structural and institutional racism in the United States. And so you see a joining of forces. In fact, Black Lives Matter leaders were just meeting with President Obama as well. And so what do all these things have in common? What is the ideology that is that that is woven throughout the stream of these different power actors and institutions and global bodies. What is the agenda? Well, you might remember previously on the broadcast, I talked about the United Nations Convention on the Rights of a Child, which on the one hand, you go, yes, every child is is worthy of their life and and, and dignity and, and, and protection against abuse. And those are important and good things. But they go beyond that. And they start saying things like, well, the child has a right to choose his own value system and to seek out media that he can explore in order to find out what he believes to be good and true and and beautiful to him. And I'm going, wait a minute, this is not okay, because as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And of course, you, you don't you do not do that coercively in, in some sort of you know evil, violent manner. You teach your children through the love of Jesus Christ, by word and by deed. But that is the parental prerogative and duty before God to protect the children from that media onslaught and influence of evil ideologies. But the United Nations has said, nope, they've got a right to go and explore all of that. And then you've got the Black Lives Matter that said, we are committed to disrupting the institution of the family. These are our children, we are told. When I hear state officials and people that believe in this you know global village idea that the family is an archaic and oppressive patriarchal institution that needs to be done away with and we're going to replace that with a communal state-run parent that really really raises red flags for me as a believer in the bible and so when we talk about these issues we got to remember even while there may be good intentions out front and, and, and a lot of good people involved with various different movements of our time, and that includes the religious right, and that includes everybody out there. The devil's going to move in through the corridors of every ideological push that you see out there. For example, like this, singer Jennifer Lopez posted a tweet Tuesday, and by the way, you can learn more about Jennifer Lopez's um, uh, occult alignings 
in Media on the Brain. That's the DVD series that I put out, and I do seminars on the effects of entertainment media and the allegiances within the entertainment industry, the scientific information on the neurological effects of modern entertainment media. So Jennifer Lopez, you can learn learn about her on Disc 3, Disc 3 of Media on the Brain. Visit 11thHourDispatch.com. But um, she put out a tweet that included the hashtag all lives matter which you might say hey that's a good thing but then interestingly deleted it just moments later it appeared for a couple of minutes but in those few minutes she was hit by a barrage of supporters of the quote black lives matter movement who said that one of the co-founders of the movement said that if you put out all lives matter then that that is a racial slur now, that puzzled me to hear that somebody who believes that all lives matter are, are putting out a racial slur. And that reminded me of Martin O'Malley. This was a like, liberal Democrat in, in his community of people that are, you know, proclaimedly fighting for social justice and the rights of, of blacks in America. And he's, he came out at, a, at an event where a lot of these folks were who were promoting the the Black Lives Matter movement, and he said, Black Lives Matter, White Lives Matter, All Lives Matter, which you figure everybody would say amen and cheer. They booed him. They shouted him down because he said All Lives Matter. And then it was said subsequently to, to that, that, that that he was a white supremacist for saying that. That's the craziness of the dialogue in our culture today. And as Christians, when you go to the Bible and you see, indeed, all lives do matter, and then all of a sudden you hear from the cultural dialogue in, in the social networking world and the propaganda push that if, if you believe what the Bible says, that we are all his offspring, and that it doesn't matter, Jew or Greek, male or female, slave or free, everybody has value in God's eyes and can be saved. And we, every life matters, right? But that, while that was once the most popular notion that, of, of actually quality under Martin Luther King Jr.'s movement, it's now perceived as being white supremacist to say that we believe in equality of everybody's life. Now, of course, when, when we look at some statistics of what's happening in the inner cities, it is absolutely tragic that so many black lives are being taken and killed in these in these war zones, Chicago, especially in places like this, I mean, we're looking at 93% of the killings of black people are mostly gang type of shootings and black on black crime, which is, which is just terrible to see this, this community of people who've been through so much historically, their ancestors coming out of slavery coming into a time where you had to fight for your rights in the Jim Crow era. And there's all of this killing taking place. 93% of the killings, the murders, the violent acts that take a black life are taken by a murderer who is of the same race. In fact, 13 million black children have been killed since Roe versus Wade in the womb. And that's an even greater tragedy. So, if we're believers that all lives matter, if we're believers that black lives do matter, 
then we've got to talk about abortion. We've got to talk about the violence and the breakdown of the family and the black community and how this is reaping all of this social discord and social problems that's leading to the, the drug culture and the criminal culture and the gang violence. It's a tragic, tragic thing to be growing up in that context. In fact, almost 40% of all black pregnancies currently end in abortion. I mean, we're talking about life that matters. And if you think, well, that's a right, you know, this is, this is some sort of great social justice cause to allow people to uh, kill their baby. Margaret Sanger was the founder of Planned Parenthood. That's the organization that has really pushed for and provided for all of the abortion. Margaret Sanger stated the following. We should apply a stern and rigid policy of sterilization and segregation to that grade of population, black people, whose progeny is, quote, tainted or whose inheritance is such that objectionable traits may be transmitted to offspring. We should hire three or four colored ministers. That's what they, the, the way, what they would call African-Americans back in 1922 when she said this. We should hire three or four colored ministers preferably with social service backgrounds and with engaging personalities, the most successful, quote, educational approach to the Negro is through a religious appeal. We don't want the word to go out that we want to exterminate the Negro population. This is the founder of Planned Parenthood, who is the promoter of the whole abortion rights movement, okay? We don't want the word to go out, she said, Margaret Sanger that we want to exterminate the Negro population. And the minister is the man who can straighten out that idea if it ever occurs to any of their more rebellious members. Now that is a violation of human life, black lives particularly. And that's really where, as Christians, we need to be raising the outcry of what's happening to so many innocent babies. And the, the article from Breitbart goes on and says Sanger may have not targeted blacks alone for population control. She, she also went after, she says we need to, um, the blacks are weeds and we need to do away with but their, their, their communities, but also the handicapped or people who, you know, are going to pass on bad genes. We need to get rid of, I mean, this is like Hitlerian, right? But she, all the poor, she wanted the poor to be aborted as well. And the program, of course, wasn't very effective in the 1920s because there wasn't widespread abortion taking place yet as there was after Roe versus Wade in the 1970s. But one of the things that was happening between her day in the 1920s and, you know, about four decades later, 1960s, by that point, half of black Americans had moved into the middle class. By the 1960s, literally, the African-American community was on the rise by the 1960s. And so it's in the last 50 years to 60 years, where we've really seen this start to fall apart. And the 1980s with the, the crack cocaine you know, addictions and that being shipped in and, and then the gang violence that arises and, and really, frankly, the entertainment industry pushing the hip-hop culture as cool and the drug and criminal culture and gangster rap and all of this has contributed to that. But the biggest, biggest issue in the African-American community in terms of why the social breakdown has taken place as it has since the 1960s. And, and I share this as a historian, as a social scientist, as an economic, economics teacher, political science guy. Okay, this is, this is my academic background, but this is much more than academic. This is a very real spiritual crisis in the fatherlessness 
of the homes of so many of these beloved children of God. These kids grow up, many of them not knowing their father. And when you have a breakdown in the family, you have a breakdown in the social order, you have a breakdown in morality, and you start to see promiscuity rates rise and drug use and criminal activity and all of that when you have the absence of the father. That's why it's terribly ironic that Black Lives Matter not only promotes abortion, but says we are committed to the breakdown of the family. We are trying to disrupt the family. What an insidious plan of the devil. It it's, ends up being the most race-suppressing, black people, anti-black movement that there is to say we're going to kill them before they leave the womb and we're going to destroy their families. And it's all with the banner of we promote and support this community. When really Margaret Sanger was the, the, the racist behind it all. So what do we need? We need Jesus Christ. We need his design for the family, for the church, for the community, and the peace that he can give us individually in our hearts. To financially support this broadcast, visit 11thHourDispatch.com. Here's Scott Ritzema with another final minute message. Christine Rosen says, To find good in gaming often requires strenuous leaps of logic. Compare the addictive potential to the spiritualist things that are going on, to the brain-damaging effects, the higher depression, the higher levels of aggression, all of these things that the studies have shown. Compare that to the so-called benefits, and it's no contest. If you're a teenager listening to this, realize that right now you are sowing the seeds of what you will reap as an adult, the kind of person you will be. You're determining that now because the brain is linking up in ways that will be not completely irreversible, but very difficult to reverse later on. I'm speaking from personal testimony on this. Every manner of foolishness and sin in my teen years and early 20s, and, and I wish I could have that time back because my life wouldn't be such a struggle now when I face the battles of sin in this world to overcome only by God's power. Brought to you by BeltofTruthMinistries.org.